are few in number this morning, but people are traveling and continuing to have family. Thank you, Alice. Alice just showed that she can say in three minutes exactly what's going to take me 30 minutes to say. That was very, very well said. And uh, you can probably fill in some of the blanks in those uh, sermon notes now. Um, have you ever received a bad gift? Now be careful. So you're sitting by. We've all received bad gifts, right? And I know that when I was a kid, my mamaw's side of the family that we only saw you know, a couple times a year, they, for a number of years, had a Christmas get-together. So these are like my, my great aunts and uncles and second cousins and stuff like that. People didn't really know me very well, scattered all over East Tennessee. But we'd, get, we'd get together. And when I was about 12 or 13, uh, they you know, were giving gifts to the kids. We each got like one gift that we got to open. And mine was kind of heavy, and it was this big square, and I was like, oh, what is this? What could this be? And I opened it up, and it was a big block of modeling clay. <laughs> I was 12, okay? I mean, this wasn't even like Play-Doh. This stuff was hard. It, it was like last year's fruitcake, and it was awful. I was so disappointed by that gift. And I remember one year when Abby was two or three years old, and and uh, she had gotten a gift from us on Christmas morning. Maybe it was from Stan. I can't remember. But then we went over to some family's house, and she opened up a present. It was the exact same thing. And she said, I got this already. And just threw it aside, you know. And Julie and I were like, okay, we got to work on this. we got to help her, you know, do better with this. And my papa, uh, on my mom's side of the family, my papa was famous for just throwing away Christmas presents. If he got something he didn't like or he didn't need, it just went in the trash. And we just kind of joked about that. But... You know, so gift-giving can be awkward, can't it? And it can be expensive. And it can be stressful. And sometimes it can encourage the very behaviors Jesus died to save us from. Selfishness and greed and idolatry. So why do we do it? Why is gift-giving a part of our Christmas tradition? Well, Miss Alice perfectly said it. It's because of two things. One, Jesus himself is the greatest gift we've ever given received. God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son. But secondly, the wise men brought gifts to Jesus of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, so the generosity of the wise men is also something that we mimic in our giving of gifts. Well, let's look at this story. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if you'll turn in your Bibles and read with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him because when King Herod wasn't happy, wasn't nobody happy. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star. They had seen it at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to him by their own, to their own country by another route. The wise men, also known as magi, they were astrologers, dream interpreters, sort of these mystic advisors to royalty. Think of Daniel and how he was to Nebuchadnezzar or Joseph and what he was like with King Pharaoh. And, and they came from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And despite our nativity scenes, there probably were more than three of them. And I'm sure they had attendance with them. It was probably quite the entourage of people that came piling into Bethlehem that day. And they didn't come the night Jesus was born. It was months, if not maybe even a year later before they got there. So why do we say three wise men? Well, it's obvious because they brought three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we probably would argue that those last two gifts were maybe bad gifts to give, at least to a baby. You've probably seen the joke that after the three wise men, the three wise women came with formula and diapers and, you know, that, that kind of thing. But these were the very best gifts that these men had to give. They were luxurious. They were expensive. And as Miss Alice said, they were given as an act of worship to honor the child Jesus as the King of Kings. So I want us to consider for a moment the worth and significance of these gifts. First, gold. Okay, so these are easy fill-in-the-blanks. Gold. Gold, as it is today, was a precious, valued metal. It was the metal of kings, of royalty. And, and that gift was given to recognize that Jesus is the King of Kings. You know, last week we talked about how Jesus fulfilled the role of the king that David foreshadowed. He was the son of David. He was a king like David. He fulfilled the messianic prophecies of the king that would come from the tribe of Judah who would rule and reign forever and the obedience of the nations would be his. He is that mighty ruler, that ancient ruler from old that, that came born in Bethlehem to rule forever God's people. Our Old Testament reading prophesied how Jesus was the Prince of Peace and upon His shoulders the governance of God's kingdom would rest and His kingdom would be an ever-increasing kingdom and would bring ever-increasing peace and He would uphold both justice and righteousness forevermore. Even later on in the New Testament, the confession that Jesus is Lord was itself a politically dangerous statement Roman citizens and Roman subjects would have to declare their fealty to Caesar by saying Caesar is Lord. In other words, Caesar is my only king. Caesar is the one deserving of my love, my loyalty, and my submission. Well, Christians rejected that and they said, no, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one and only king. Jesus is the only one worthy of my loyalty, love, and submission. Jesus made this plain even to Pontius Pilate. You remember Jesus stood before Pilate and he asked him, Is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said that he was indeed king. That he was born to be king. But not in the way that Caesar or that Pilate meant it. He wasn't born just to be a political king. No, his kingdom, he said, was not of this world. His kingdom superseded 
all of the nations and the politics and the royalty of this world because Jesus was king not just by birthright, not just by decree. Jesus was king based on His divinity. He made the world, therefore He rules the world. That is His kingship. And the gift of gold was meant to signify that this child was born king, not just of the Jews, but of us all. The second gift, frankincense. And that's a tough one to spell, trust me. I've uh, Spellcheck spell has corrected me multiple times working on this sermon. And it's not Frankenstein, it's frankincense. Kids sometimes get that confused. This was a very valuable and fragrant spice that was burned for worship. It was burned in temples uh, throughout the ancient world. And the first time we see it mentioned in the Bible is Exodus 30. The Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, stockte, onica, and galbanum. The spices and pure frankincense are to be in equal measures. Prepare expertly blended incense from these. It is to be seasoned with salt, pure, and holy. Grind some of it into a fine powder. Put some in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting. In other words, in front of the ark of the covenant in the tent in the tabernacle where I will meet with you. It must be especially holy to you. As for the incense you are making, you must not make any for yourselves using its formula. It is to be regarded by you as holy, belonging to the Lord. In other words, frankincense for the people of God, for the people of Israel, was sacred. It was holy. It was something reserved only for the worship of God, only to be burned in the tabernacle, later in the temple, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, in front of the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. It was never to be used for personal purposes. This is what Zechariah was burning in the temple when the angel Gabriel appeared to him. So for these wise men to bring frankincense to Jesus indicated that they did understand this was no ordinary child. There was something very unique and special about this baby and that he was worthy of our worship. In fact, Matthew tells us twice the wise men came to worship Jesus. And they weren't the only ones. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, people worshipped Him. When He would heal someone, the people would bow in worship. When He calmed the storms, it says the disciples bowed and worshipped Him with wonder and awe. As Jesus stood, resurrected in their presence, the disciples bowed in worship of Him. And even doubting Thomas himself said, My Lord and my God. And and remember when Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, the people shouted, Hosanna! Praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna is a word that means worship and praise. We understand. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not sure that, I doubt the wise men understood that at all. But we know that Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity who has come down to be among us, and He most certainly is worthy of all of our worship and praise. And someday, those of us who know the name of Jesus, who belong to Him, we will worship Him together with the nations around His throne, as it says in Revelation 5. When John said, I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise 
And John said, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. In other words, all of creation saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The wise men were the warm-up act. They were the first ones to come from the nations to bow before Jesus and worship Him. That's what the frankincense represented. And then finally, the myrrh. Now, myrrh was a precious perfumed ointment that was used in a lot of things. It was used in cosmetics. It was used in worship. It was used in medicine. And it was used to anoint the dead. Now, I'm sure that when the wise men gave this gift to Mary on behalf of Jesus, that embalming his body was not on their mind, right? That would have been a very dark and weird gift to give if that were the case. But we know that someday his body would be anointed with myrrh and would be laid to rest in that borrowed tomb. In fact, John tells us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came that day that Jesus died with myrrh to anoint his body. John 19 says that, uh, that Joseph was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now, as I said at the time, these gifts probably seemed a little strange, if not inappropriate gifts for a baby. But they weren't. Because these gifts declared who Jesus is. He is the Son of God worthy of our worship. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they foreshadowed what Jesus came to do. He came to die upon a cruel Roman cross to bear your sins and mine and then be raised on the third day and seated at the right hand of Father so that all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what these gifts tell us. Now, remember my opening question and illustrations about bad gifts, right? About the bad gifts sometimes we've received. Well, you know, sometimes we give bad gifts too. And unlike the wise men, and their gifts were wise, even if they didn't fully understand what these gifts would symbolize, their gifts were given in wisdom. But sometimes we don't give very wise gifts. Sometimes we give God bad gifts. So I'm going to take a minute to think about the bad gifts that we might give to God. Because sometimes, let's be honest, our gifts are spiritual junk. Sometimes what we give God are just religious trinkets. Think about, you know, how busy and distracted we get. And December is a perfect month to think about how busy and distracted we can be. By worldly concerns, by our own selfishness and greed, we can be overwhelmed with stress and worry and, and maybe even apathy sometimes. Sometimes we exclude God altogether. You know, He's like that distant relative that we forget about and doesn't make it on our Christmas shopping list, right? And then you get that the family get together and you're like, oh no, I forgot about Uncle so-and-so. Sometimes we treat God that way. We just forget about Him altogether. We don't think about what He deserves. We don't think about what He desires from us. So let's think for a moment about some of the junk gifts we offer God, the the gifts that he's less than enthused to receive, the gifts that God would just assume take and return and get something back. And the first one of those that we might give God are empty words. Empty words. You know, as religious people, as church-going people, we can talk a good talk. Oh, we, we, can, we can say all the right Sunday school answers and sound like we know what we're talking about and we got it all together, but God sees through all that religious posturing. He peers down into the depths 
of our hearts. We can fool others, but we can never fool God. The Lord says in Isaiah 29, 13, These people come near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul says in Titus chapter 1, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Jesus even criticized those who would say, Lord, Lord, but would fail to keep His commandments. Whereas Jesus says in John chapter 15, not once, but three times in that chapter, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. See, God sees right through our pretense. He judges the thoughts, intents, and motives of our hearts. He rejects our empty words. God wants to take that junk gift and exchange it for a real gift. Actions that speak louder than words. That's what God wants. 1 John chapter 3, John writes this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. James illustrates this in James chapter 2. He says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. God desires a living faith from us. A faith that works. A faith of action. A faith that puts its money where its mouth is. True religion and spirituality aren't just about what we believe, but how we behave. It's not just about what we say with our lips. It's what we do with our lives. But how often are we guilty of giving God empty words? We say it. We might even think that we mean it that our lives don't show it. A second similar gift that's junk that we sometimes give God is empty worship. I mean, just like we can talk a good talk and say all the right things, we can also come into this building and we can sing loud and we can raise our hands and we can, we can try to show all this emotion and pretend in worship and not really mean any of it. Honestly, how often do you sing a song for the upteenth time and your mouth is singing the words, but your mind is somewhere else. Thinking about lunch. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? We don't think about the words that we're singing. How often do you come to worship because you have to? Because you feel like you're expected to? How often are we guilty of treating worship as something for our entertainment and enlightenment rather than for God's glory? And maybe we'll say things like, you know, I didn't care for the preacher's message this morning. You may say that this afternoon. You might say something like, well, you know, I just wasn't being fed. Or maybe, hopefully, you'll say, I really enjoyed the, preacher, the preacher's message this morning. He was so funny today. Or maybe it's the music. You might say, you know, I didn't like that song we sang this morning. Or you might say, I hate it when we learn a new song. Or 
wow, the choir sounded so good, or I love it when the orchestra plays. We confuse our preferential styles for spiritual substance. We mix up what we like and want with what God deserves and desires from us. We forget that in worship, you're not the audience. We together are participants in worship. The audience is one. The audience is God alone. And we all worship for Him, not for ourselves. And if we don't worship God in spirit and truth, with a right focus on Him, not ourselves, with the goal of giving Him glory and honor, not so much what we get out of it, if we don't do that, we run the risk of God rejecting our worship and taking it back to the store. Listen to what God says in Amos chapter 5. And these are strong words. He's speaking to the people of Israel. He says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offering, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. God rejected their worship because they weren't worshiping in spirit and truth. And sometimes we are guilty of giving God empty worship. You know, maybe not every Sunday, maybe just every once in a while, but every one of us at some point have been guilty of going through the motions and not really thinking about the worship that we give. We give God empty words and empty worship. But you know, sometimes... In addition to giving God these kind of empty gifts, we just give God leftovers. We give God the spiritual scraps. When God commands us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God is asking us to love Him with the very best of ourselves. You may remember in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were required to bring to God the first fruits of their labor, their harvest, their animals. They, they weren't to give God the leftovers. You know, when, when you get to the end of the harvest and you've got just some scrawny you know, fruit left on the vine, I'll give that to God. Or, or you, you, you feed your family with the best of the sheep and you shear the wool off of them and then the little runt of the litter, I'll offer that to God. No, you give God the first and the best of ourselves. And you'd never think of giving someone you really love some used, beat-up, or broken gift. No, you want to give them the best gift you can give them to show them how much they mean to you, how much you love them. How we spend time with God similarly communicates our love for Him. We give Him leftovers of our time. How do we do that? How do we give God the leftovers of our time? Well, when we go to Sunday school or worship or Wednesday nights when it's convenient for us. Now, that's not to say there aren't times that we can't make it. I understand that. I, I get that. Life happens and sometimes you can't be here. But how often is our attitude one of, I'll go to church when it's convenient? Or when we let time spent in His Word and His prayer go by the wayside because we're too busy. We're too distracted by all of our entertainment choices. That we let the day get away from us and we've not cracked open His Word. We've not bowed our head in prayer. When we're hesitant to serve God through His church. When we're afraid to commit our time because what if something better comes up? I don't want to be tied down on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings or you know, for a week of vacation Bible school. 
We give God the leftovers of our time. And in addition to our time, we give God the leftovers of our treasure. As I told you, Miss Alice said in three minutes, what's taking me 30? So good job. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I was sitting there thinking, man, it's like we're reading from the same book. You know, isn't it amazing? You know, think about an excellent gift. An excellent gift you can give someone is a gift that keeps on giving, right? Okay, a, a gift that literally keeps on giving, maybe like an investment. Now, my grandparents, from the time I was born until I was 18, would give me a $50 savings bond. It wasn't much, and it probably meant more back then than it would today. But they wanted to invest in my future, in my education, and I appreciated that. And maybe you've done that, or you've been given money or an opportunity to invest. And that can be good or bad, depending on the investment, right? Somebody gives you some gold, it's pretty good. Somebody gives you some Bitcoin, uh, who knows? The jury's still out on that one, right? And if somebody gives you some junk bonds or they give you some kind of a, a wild get-rich-quick scheme, that could be a waste of money and a false hope. Well, God longs for us to invest in something that is certain with eternal dividends. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. We should prioritize giving to God a portion of the generosity He has given to us. Invest that treasure. The Bible calls that a tithe. It's 10%. That comes off the top. It's the first fruits, the best of what we have to give God. Now, that's the Old Testament standard, the tithe. The New Testament standard is even higher than that because Jesus is our example, right? This is how we know what love is, that Jesus gave himself for us and we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We read that in 1 John. So the example in the New Testament is that Jesus gave his all. You and I should give our all. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to take your paycheck and just sign it over to the church. That's not what that means. But it means that every dollar we spend, we do it with a kingdom mindset. Every dollar we spend, we ask ourselves, how is this going to bless my family? How is this going to benefit others? How is this going to help me to follow Christ more? How is this going to glorify God? It means that we're generous with our blessings, that we give above and beyond a tithe. It means that we look for opportunities to invest in kingdom purposes at home and in our community and around the world. It means that we don't give God the spare change at the end of the month. We prioritize, what am I going to give to God from my treasures? Because He deserves our best. Let's not give God empty words in worship this next year. Let's not give God leftovers of our time, our treasure, our talents, our energy, our heart. Let's give God first the best of ourselves. So I just want to wrap up today by thinking specifically about what are some good gifts for God. What is on God's Christmas wish list? And there's two ways we can think about it. One is by looking at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Where God tells us, He, he, he corrects. Micah says, No, O people... The Lord has told you what is good. They've got all these ideas about what God wants and what God expects. They make it overly complicated like we tend to do. But Micah says, this is what God requires of you. 
Do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. That's pretty simple. What does God want? He wants you to do what's right. He wants you to love mercy. He wants you to walk humbly with Him. Really, we can boil it down even more than that. It all comes down to our understanding of worship. What is worship? And I don't just mean what we do for an hour in here on Sunday morning. I mean how we live our lives every day, every moment. And, and I want to use the wise men. Let's go back to them and use them as an example. They worship Jesus by giving Him their best. So as Miss Alice said, we don't have gold, frankincense, and myrrh to give to Jesus this morning. So what can we give Jesus? What is on His Christmas wish list? When we give Him our gold, what are we giving Him? We're giving Him the riches of life's blessings. We're returning to Him the riches that He has so lavishly given us. And how do we do this? How do we give the riches of our blessings to God? Well, Jesus told us in our New Testament reading. He told us. Whenever we see somebody who's hungry and we feed them in His name. Whenever we see someone who's without clothes and we clothe them. Whenever we know that someone is sick or in prison and we visit them. Whenever we do something for the least of these, Jesus says, it's as if you've done it to me. It's as if you've given me a gift. That is how we are to give to Him our gold. How are you using God's riches to serve and love others? And it doesn't have to be something big and splashy. Jesus says, even if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you'll be blessed. How are we giving to God our gold? What about our frankincense? And by that I mean our praise and worship. We give God our praise and our worship. Are you living a life of continual prayer? Are you giving God thanks and, and rejoicing in all things? Are you faithful to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with His people whenever possible? That, that's a gift that God doesn't want us to neglect because not only is that a gift to Him, God says that is also a gift to us. We need to be gathered in His presence. We need to sit under the preaching of His Word. And it does us so much good when we come together and we lift His name up high and we make His praise Glorious, because that is what we were made for. We were made to worship Him. What about our myrrh? The sweet aroma of time spent with God. Think about it. God set aside His rights as God. He humbled Himself, took on the form of a servant. He was made in human likeness and suffered and died on the cross. And He did all of this so that you could know Him so that He could spend time and eternity with you. That's what God did to spend time with you. What are you willing to do to spend time with Him? What are you willing to do to spend time with the God who loves you this much? Time with Him in prayer and in His Word. Listen, that is such a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It's like myrrh. He longs to spend time with you. Are you willing to get up a little bit earlier in the morning? Are you willing to take this phone and leave it plugged in in your bedroom while you go and you spend some time in the Word of God and in prayer? What are you willing to do? To worship and fellowship with fellow believers, to serve others in His name, to share the gospel and make disciples. God 
desires and deserves our best. Amen? Can we agree that we don't always give Him that? So this second day of Christmas, this last Sunday of 2021, I want you to consider what God wants from you. What does He require of you, O man? To do what is right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with Him. To give Him the best of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God loves you. Maybe today what you need to do is give Him that very first gift, and that is the gift of your life. Maybe you need to come to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been trying to live life my way. I've been calling the shots, and I know that because of that I've rebelled against you and I deserve death. But I know that Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose again, and I want Jesus in my heart and life so I can live for you. Maybe today you need to come and give your life to Jesus. Maybe as a believer you just need to pray at this altar or right where you are and just say, God, forgive me for how selfish I've become. Forgive me for how apathetic I've been. I've grown cold in my walk with you. I've been giving you the leftovers. I've not been giving you the best. And I don't want to give you empty words or worship anymore. I want a faith that's active, a faith that does something, a faith that makes a difference in the lives of people. Help me to give all of myself to you. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church family, that this is where you want to send up that sweet aroma of fellowship and worship and service to God. Whatever God has laid on your heart, let's be obedient. Let's do what we know God would have us do. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we are humbled by your gratitude, your grace, God. You give us what we don't deserve. Your mercy, God, you don't treat us the way we do deserve. You are a God of love, and that love was demonstrated on the cross of, of Christ. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to accept and embrace that gift for the first time, I pray they would do so. And for those of us that belong to the household of faith, Lord, forgive us. We get so busy, we get so overwhelmed, we get so distracted, we, we get our priorities out of whack, and often you are on the short end of that stick, and we don't give you our best. We sometimes think of you last. We think, oh, God understands, and you do, but we use that as an excuse. God, forgive us and help us moving forward this week and into next year, Lord, to strive to give you the very best of ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be standing here to receive you. You come.